So, welcome, good evening, everyone. Nice to be with you again. Tonight, I'd just like to ask for any questions. Any questions? Uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little on um, uh, three, three um, aspects of bhakti, uh, Aropa, um, Siddha, uh, Sandra Siddha, and um, and Sarupsida from and it's coming from a context of trying to understand the, the subtleties and the nuances. For example, in um, um, Sarupsida Bhakti, um, you know, often as I understood it at least, is that those angles of bhakti contain or have bhakti inherent in those activities in themselves. But I guess an argument an argument could be made um, like the intention also matters because you see Mayavadis, for example, chanting um, Krishna um, for a different desired result than Uttama Bhakti. Um, so how to understand, I guess, the difference in those activities. And similarly with Aropa Siddha Bhakti, um, someone could be offering to Krishna as an afterthought uh, their activities, but also they could be um, uh, someone could offer their activities with the intention of please purify me of these desires that I can offer. It's, it's included in the path of Uttama Bhakti, if that I'm making sense in the question. But I was wondering, so I was wondering if you could talk a little on that topic. Yeah, well, these are terms that are found in the Bhakti Sandarva and Arup um, Siddha Bhakti, Sangha Siddha Bhakti, Sarup Siddha Bhakti. Um, basically, in a basic sense, they refer to karma misra bhakti, gyan misra bhakti, and uh, bhakti that's not um, um, mixed with gyan or, or karma, basically. Um, so, sarup siddha bhakti, as you say, is, are those activities that are inherently bhakti. And as such, uh, just as fire if you touch it, you'll get burned. It doesn't matter what you think. So if you contact, have contact with Srupsita Bhakti, there will be some positive effect. Obviously, at the same time, the, the disposition with which we participate in Srupsita Bhakti will make a difference in terms of the measure, extent of the effect, right? There are extraordinary examples cited in the Puranas of even animals who have engaged in Sarup Siddha Bhakti unknowingly and attained an extraordinary result. The famous one that I recall is the rat who uh, used to go and eat from the ghee lamp. Hmm? So there's a ghee lamp that was kept lit on the altar and so he would go and drink the ghee. But one day, one of the um, wicks got caught on his nose, stuck there. So he's trying to get it off like this. <laughs> and Vishnu uh, Murti accepted it as Arctic. He did Archan. And then he died and went to Vaikuntha. So examples like this are given to emphasize the power, inherent power, in these activities which uh, come from another world, really. Hmm. Um, sometimes 
people think that bhakti is just the devotion that we have for anything. So be devoted to your to your trade, be devoted to your wife, to your children, um, to Krishna. Devotion is devotion. But um, when we speak about bhakti, although we sometimes translate it as devotion, devotional service, we're speaking about um, something that is near guna, that is beyond the gunas, modes of nature, and is coming here uh, to also bring us uh, beyond the modes of nature, which um, reason, I think, mandates would be necessary. To go there, we would need help from that side because everything on this side is like counterfeit currency. It has no purchasing power in the, in the realm of reality because nothing here is real and then it doesn't endure. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Just uh, appearances. Namrupa, sometimes the word, the world is called place of names and forms hmm? that come and go and change, right? So whether it be our physical strength, or our mental prowess, or intellectual um, ability, these are all products of the gunas, even if they be sattvic, in the case of the mind, for example. Hmm? Um, so jnana is governed by sattva. Karma is governed by, by rajas. That's why jnana yoga, karma yoga, in and of themselves, can't afford standing in transcendence. That's one of the fundamental arguments of the Bhakti Shastras. To me, it's a very sound argument. Again, as I'm saying, if you want to purchase real estate in a land where there's no death, you can't use currency from Mrityalokam. Sometimes the world is called Mrityam Lokam. I was saying to some devotees earlier today that in, in the scientific uh, community, in technological community, technological community, we look very closely at the world, at nature, hmm, with a certain purpose in mind, right? To extract from it for our mentally human conceived purposes as to what we are. Hmm? But the Bhagavatam, sometimes when the, the way the world is looked at in modern science, for example, the way it is looked at in the Bhagavatam, don't, they're, they're conflicting. You have to appreciate that the Bhagavatam is looking at it from a, from a different perspective. It's kind of like set up, up close. It's like looking at it from outer space, you know, in a more broad way. And therefore it refers to it as Mrtilokam. A place where everything dies. It's not just looking at Earth. It's looking at the whole cosmos, right? As Krishna says in the Gita, Abrahma Bhuvana Loka Punara Vartanarjana. Mamu Peta Tukundaya Punarjana He distinguishes between his my planet, he says, his planet, and all the other planets. They're distinguished by, in a basic sense, by in, in these planets, everyone has to die and take birth again, and in my planet, that doesn't happen, right? So, the, the currency from this world 
is as false as everything else in the world. It doesn't have purchasing power for the real. But if from that realm, then some uh, influence comes to take us there, well then it, obviously it has the power to do so. So this is the idea that bhakti is, is, is nirguna. It's transcendent in nature. And um, so, hearing and chanting about Vishnu, I mean, you just can't make this up. Uh, that's what I used to think when I was saying, you just give them, you couldn't just make this up. Everything that you find in the Hindu texts about subtle, wor- subtle world, like this, another thing, let's take for example, just even, even in the yogic perspective of the subtle body, all these things that couldn't be like verified with a microscope or something scientifically, um, or uh, you know, it's kind of the science of the mind, right? Yoga, the way to master the mind and so forth, and the way they approach it affords certain experience that psychology, which is also another science of the mind, or the what they call science of mind also is to analyze what is the mind, is it the brain, and so forth. That those perspectives don't afford you. The yogic examination of the mind is one that affords mastery of it. If you want to know what the mind is, well, you could sit with somebody who can't control it for more than you know a minute without it going off and thinking about something else, or you could sit with somebody who can control it focus it on one thing for for you know months on end maybe that latter person has a better grip on what the mind is obviously has some power to control it and then he has experiences coming from that I mean those experiences should be credible based on the objective they can't be verified objectively but what we can verifyly object objectively verify that he's got control of his mind. Hmm? He can sit. I mean, all you have to do is sit, but it's not so easy. <laughs> all the Buddha did was sit. That's all. Just sit. And no. I can't sit. Because hmm. mind is mind is the seat, manas of desire. The seat of desire. So so based on the desire, then we have to move and we're distracted and so forth. So Anyway, so uh, there are descriptions that, and the, you know, from the yoga point of view, we're just talking, as I say, about descriptions of the subtle realm and so forth. But here we have descriptions of another of of, of Baika, a place called Vaikuntha, a deity called Vishnu, and, his, uh, and uh, the way things work there and so forth. I mean, I don't know how you could just sit down and make that up, but it's just it's just too fascinating. Um, the reports even if they vary slightly, different Puranas and so on and so forth. So, anyway, the point being hearing and chanting about Vishnu, Vishnu Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu Smaram, this is other, another worldly, you know, you don't learn that anywhere except through these sacred texts, right? Through the Guru Parampara. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, these Angas of Bhakti, and you know, there are other transcendental paths like Gyan and Yoga, and they have their angas. Um, and of course, they won't be fully efficacious unless there's some bhakti combined with them. But bhakti 
unto herself has her principal angas. There are many angas, some of them have sub-angas, limbs and so forth. Um, but these principal ones, Ravanam, Kirtanam, for example, they have great power. So they're inherently, they are bhakti. They are also what goes on there, especially here in chanting. Going on here as a way, and going on there uh, also as as uh, part of the goal, right? There are uh, to, to uh, they, they are what would you call them? Um, Baba Sambandi. So they're related to the Bhav. Nityasiddha Krishna Prem Sadhiva Bunai, Shravanadi Sudhachite Kore Udhai. So the Bhava is Nityasiddha, eternally perfect. That's what makes the, the movement of Bhakuntha go around, moving by Bhava different bhavas. So these bhavas are all eternally perfect. Nityasiddha Krishna Prem. Sadhika Bunai. It's not something that is acquired as things are in this world by as a result of a particular action. I do this, it warrants that. No. That's the karmic realm. So it's not like that. The result is eternally existing. But, and so to have one's ideal as Krishna Prem, to understand this opportunity has come to me in a particular way, this is my ideal, that's very powerful. Especially when the ideal is rag bhakti, because as I've said before, the center kind of driving force really of rag bhakti is the interest on the part of the sadhaka in the things that really interest Krishna. In other words, Krishna is not interested in things. Most people are interested in things. And maybe they worship God for things. Well, that's not going to get Krishna's attention. He's got... You can talk to Shiva for that. You can see he's got a lot of things here. Shiva provides. So, um, and some people want to get away from things, understandably, <laughs> because it's their, the, the idea that they will afford me happiness uh, is um, questionable at best, because I may want something and think that I'll be more complete by acquiring it by that acquisition, but I can't keep it, in the very least, so, or I have to protect it, Somebody else might take it from me. I was telling a story the other day, I'll repeat it for you, some of you probably haven't heard it, but one time a godbrother of mine who was an astrologer, he gave me a ring, which was a yellow sapphire. Jupiter, right? the guru stone, and, uh, and it's, you know, it's auspicious, whatever. And so he gave it to me and he wore it on this Jupiter finger. So I said, okay, and I was wearing it. And then he told me that he was a jeweler. He said it was worth like over a thousand dollars, the stone. And then I just felt like I got a thousand dollars. I'm not poor. I've always been pretty poor. So I got a thousand dollars on my finger here. I thought it was full of anxiety. <laughs> Somebody could take it. I could lose it and so forth. 
And then, um, I think it was during Chaturmas, and I was eating less, and I lost some weight. So I was out in the barn at Audarya, cleaning and, and up after the cows, and I lifted some hay, and the ring flew off my finger. Thousand dollars. It's somewhere in the ground of Audarya. There are valuable jewels there. Sapphires, chintamani, and more. So. So we, 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 you know, we, we, as I say, we think that by acquisition we'll, we'll become more, become happy, but it can be just the opposite, right? Rich people have to have fences, guards, and uh, protect themselves from the masses and so forth. So, so the pursuit of things, that is um, not something that attracts Krishna's attention. And some people are wise enough to want to get away from things. Hmm? knowing that, as Krishna says in the Gita, that the, the attachment for things is the womb from which suffering is born. So, so just as acquisition, exploitation, is the womb from which suffering is born, sacrifice and, with, and letting go is the womb from which love is born. And at the beginning, kind of embryonic, stage of love is bhairagya, detachment. In other words, if love is about giving, then its embryonic stage is not taking, stopping from taking. So that's the gyan mark, right? Not to take. So karma negates gyan. Action negates knowledge. And knowledge negates action. In other words, if you want to acquire and you're under the illusion of thinking that I will become more by material acquisition and there's just some piece that's missing out there and I can just find it, get it, attach it to my life and I'll become happy, that's ignorance. So that movement after things is in ignorance of the nature of things. They have inherently in them nothing. What to speak of having bliss. Things don't have bliss. They don't have love. They don't have knowledge. We were saying the other day, the basic idea of Vedanta is stop trying to become and just be what you are. You are a unit of being. Nothing can change that. You are a unit of knowing. You are a unit of loving or of bliss. Such it ananda, anu, atomic form. But we're trying to become happy, blissful. We're trying to know and trying to be secure. But there's nothing that we can do by material arrangement or acquisition by which we can prevent the demise of the identity that arises out of material exist, uh, acquisition. So along with what arises out of acquisition is a false identity. As I said sometimes, the small English word, two letters, my, how do you say it in Polish, my? Mój? 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 Mój?
sounds Bengali. Moi. 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 And I? Yeah. 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 Moi equals yeah. So. Yeah, right. So what I think is mine, this starts to manifest as an I. And the corporate world knows this very well, so they know. He think he likes this, he doesn't like this, she likes this, she doesn't like that. So they know who you are. So they know how to target you and advertise and and send on your Facebook advertisements for those things and so forth. So your desires, what is what is mine and what I would like to be mine and what I don't want and I don't want to be mine, have as mine, this what really what you really get out of all this is an I that's as false as and empty as the things themselves. Right? So um, this is this is the realm of karma. From the Vedic point of view, you could take the karmic kind of tendency and just turn it a little bit so that it comes like licensed, licensed ignorance. Hmm? Your ignorance is, is somehow you've got a license to be ignorant and. You've got a connection with the government. Okay, be ignorant, but just do it like this. And it's, it's gradually you can you can come from from karma to gyan. You can begin to see through um, the falsity of material acquisition. So, which is again the womb from which material attachment, the womb from which suffering is born. And so gyan then, so that action. What I'm saying is, it, it, action cancels knowledge. You understand? It has to be ignorance. To pursue enduring happiness in relation to things that don't endure, well, that's ignorance. I don't know how, personally, I don't know how you can get around that argument. I really don't. So it's just a very basic argument. Some of these very basic arguments are very useful to us um, when we have doubts about every other thing in Krishna consciousness. <laughs> Which is, you know, and, and, and if, you, if you can embrace this, really, this, this logic, and gradually, gradually put it into, progress, into, into, into practice and become wise and step back, then, then, then you start moving to, from, from action, from acting to knowing. And what, what can be known then is the futility of such action and the self, the actual I, the real I, that gets covered by the false I. So, and so this is this is this is then this sacrificing, this letting go, if you will, is 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 uh, very. It's very. Um, you can test it. You can say, well, Gurmar says Krishna's very beautiful, you know, maybe, but uh, I never seen him. I don't know. Yeah. Sounds great, but but um, start at the beginning. 
material acquisition is the womb from which suffering is born. You've got to look at it on a bigger scale. You can, you can think, well, you know, it's good for a long time, <laughs> for at least 20 years. I'm gonna, you know, I got a 30-year mortgage. You know, when it's over, then you know. <laughs> but of course, we're looking at this from a very big, big picture. And this is what Vedanta does. It's not trying to look at nature with a microscope about all the details. Hmm? Details of how it works is, is not so important. In fact, absorption in the details and how it works can, uh, at best, produce some pragmatic result for human society. That we may think it's progress, but it, it, the animals may not think it's so. The trees may not think it's so. The earth may not. The water may not think it's so. Hmm? So it's a very narrow kind of uh, perspective. <laughs> so, uh, so the Bhagavatam tries to look at it from a very you know, much broader uh, perspective, but we can focus it in a small way, and we can we can see how uh, it can relate to what I'm saying. That, you know, that material acquisition can bring suffering. You struggle to have a, to find a partner, and you got a partner, and then you know you, you want to get away from her or him. You know, and of course, then we go look for another one. You know. <laughs> Which is understandable and is a place for that, but it's but it's ignorance <laughs> at the same time from the broader picture. We can't just become wise today because we heard that. You know, you can learn that. You know, some theoretical law of physics, but it doesn't mean you can put it into practice yourself in your everyday life. I mean, um, anyway, so. So, so it is with this kind of knowledge. But it's, you kind of want to get grounded in it, kind of get rooted in it, this, this world view. Mm-hmm. And, and it says to us that action cancels knowledge. And conversely, knowledge, as we're speaking about it, cancels ignorance. The knowledge as, the, of the, of the, as to the futility of a life of material acquisition. As much as that life is in pursuit of happiness, you're you're building castles in the sand. You know the analogy, right? I mean, and the wave will come for everything. Time and tide, they say, waits for no man or woman. Right? I mean, these things everybody knows. But nobody wants to think about it. <laughs> we know it. We see it. We have a we have a, a very powerful experience of it. Hmm? But we're so oriented with our material samskaras to keep trying through material acquisition to become happy. We just we re- we have an epiphany. We have a direct experience. We, we couldn't be more clear. And we step back for a moment, but then we step back in, try again, try again. So it's going to go on for for a long time. Even we have theoretical knowledge of bhakti and so forth. So don't be surprised if you find yourself doing things that that by your own admission are not very intelligent. (laughs) That you're not fully a rational being yet. To speak of a bhakta. Right? 
But some beginning, anyway, by good association, this is the blessing of good association. This is why it's so valuable. Be connected with someone, anyway, tied to someone that can help us stay in, in the ballpark of this. Because also, what you will accumulate, really tangibly, spiritually speaking, in this life, will be very much helpful to you in the next life. You'll you'll hit the ground running, something like that. In my life, spiritually speaking, I hit the ground running. I lived for 20, 22 years, and one day I met Prabhupada, and I knew exactly what to do forever the rest of my life. I never turned back and read half, halfway or anything. I never looked over my shoulder once. So that's not I'm great or anything like that, but that's a blessing from previous life and so forth. And I met Prabhupada, I knew, I knew him. I, knew, I know him from the past. So we have impressions, impressions of gurus and saints and, and limited and powerful and so forth. And we have practice and we have our past and so forth. But to get grounded in these ideas, it's important. We can talk about rasa and bhakti rasa and it's important. We do that too. But these basic ideas are very important because we cannot see Krishna, but there are some things that we can see. We can see them, but by good association, our eyes can be opened towards them. Hmm? Or they can be explained to us in a way that we can better see them. So the things I'm talking about, you can see them. right? Just a life of material acquisition uh, uh, is, is, is a folly. You can't keep any of it. Hmm? And there's a sense of I that's fostered by that, and you can't keep that. It has no standing. So it's not wise. So action is ignorance, as I'm speaking about it. And ignorance, so there's no knowledge in ignorance. And in in knowledge, there's no ignorance. So action cancels knowledge, and knowledge cancels action. Therefore, as we move away from the pursuit of things, this is the beginning of sacrificing. Instead of moving with exploitation to take, you're moving away from taking, right? So you're sacrificing, you're, you're giving up. So this is, this is love in its embryonic stage. But it's, it's not understood as such. If you tell your parents, I'm going to become a monk, they're going to think, it's good to be religious, but let's not be too extreme about it here. We've got a family, a lineage to carry on. I want grandchildren, for God's sake. <laughs> what about that? <laughs> I want to try again. <laughs> uh, I tried <laughs> through my son to be born again, and it didn't work. So <laughs> maybe with a grandson, I can extend my sense of self and do all the things I thought I could do, and so forth. So. Um, you understand? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, uh, so, in the in the love in its full face, what to speak in its embryonic stage, it's not understood by people in the world. That's how little love there is, if at all, in the world, the world of karma. Hmm? 
you know, the world of karma, is, I've given an example that when we were young, we went to Vrindavan for the first time and um, we went shopping for the deities and the temples and to buy a dhoti and it was so cool. They had stores with dhotis in them. <laughs> Tilak, I said, where are you? Look, you know, here's some mukuts and deity dresses and symbols, kartos, and there's drums over here. This is like, um, like a candy store, you know, for, for devotees. And uh, the shopkeepers were very happy to reciprocate, right? And so eventually, uh, in years to come, certain shopkeepers were wise enough and had a much enough love of Prabhupada to put his picture in their store. So then we would think, oh, he loves Prabhupada. He likes Prabhupada. I'll buy at his store. I'll buy tea lock from his store rather than from that store. Yeah, he loved Prabhupada. <laughs> he loved the money. That he was smart enough to know if I put a picture of Prabhupada, then they'll come here and they gave me this. He loved Prabhupada for something else, right? It's mixed, of course, but this is this is the love in the realm of karma as a systematic, licensed ignorance system of ignorance, where ignorance is is a, is is on a leash. And it can only go so far. It's, it's pulling you just gradually. You can't just do anything or just acquire anything or to acquire. You have to recognize authority behind it and make a prayer and make a sacrifice and say some mantra. And then you get it. Okay. Like a child. I want that. Well, first you do this now. First you clean your room. Hmm? Oh, I want it. First you clean your room. You have to make it. Okay, I clean my room. Okay, did you take a bath? You take a bath. And he's okay. Here you go. Say thank you. Okay, here you go. That is the whole Varnashram Dharma. That's what Varnashram Dharma is. In terms of the nature of the relationship with God, it's a childish idea. So, Gyan, then, this is moving away from that, some wisdom, moving away from the ignorance of pursuing things. And, as I say, to stop taking is kind of a embryonic giving, form of giving, to the birth, embryonic stage of the birth of actual giving. In other words, uh, yeah, uh, so, so anyway, so 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 in, so knowledge is, is characterized by the contemplative life. Hmm? Varnashram is about, as I sometimes say, dharma, artha, kama, and don't say it too loud. <laughs> yeah. Some words, and then when when that starts to sound, when you start to hear the sound. Then you start to move away from the karma. And sannyas is the, is 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 it really within the varnashram dharma? It's the end of varnashram, hmm? right? It's giving up. So one in sannyas has no obligation to the karma mark. Hmm? He's a yati. He's a nirapiksha. Uh, so. 
typically and characteristically then in the Gyan Marga is sitting the contemplative life, yogic life and so forth, right? Not part of the world. Mm. So those are in pursuit of things and then there are those that want to get away from things. It's a simplistic way, cute way of characterizing karma and Gyan. And these pursuits, they really don't excite Krishna. They just don't. What do they have to do with him? Something. Well, wise people, he does say, of anybody, then at least the wise people, they're right, a little more closer to me because they're getting closer to themselves. Selves, a unit of reality, part and parcel of me. And then, of course, there's devotion, bhakti. Dutiful bhakti. Bhakti because it should be done. Because he is God. It should be should be served. So this is a kind of bhakti we call Vaidhi Bhakti. So there are forms of the Godhead that um, correspond with that. So Narayan, Vilas, Murti of Krishna in Vaikuntha, particularly typically. But that is uh, also from, for Krishna's point of view, that's not very interesting. Not very interesting. Um, in the Vaidhi Marg, the Archon is very, very prominent. It has a place, an important place in our Ragmarg pursuit, but it's very prominent in, 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 in Vidhi Marg and, and uh, Vaidhi Marg. So uh, there Krishna is standing there, there's Krishna or Vishnu, as maybe there's the worshiper. And then there's some distance that's bridged by mantra and namaskaram and so on and so forth. Um, and I was saying this the other night, you know, that we build a temple for the deity and um, a lot of people come and visit, but nobody wants to live there. Some people live there for a while and they leave. Maybe a couple of people living there. So, not really exciting from the deity's point of view. Well, we give him a room in our house, a closet in the house. He gets a closet, we have the whole house. Every now and then we open the doors and then close them. So, I mean, these are good things, but compared to Raga Bhakti, what's going on in Golok, that's a different thing. It turns everything upside down. It cannot be understood from Vaikuntha. From Vaikuntha, the inhabitants of Vaikuntha, this doesn't compute how you could act like that with God. So if you become interested in acting like that with God, because you like the people hmm, that you've heard about, who live there, who heard cows with Krishna, who, who have a romantic life with Krishna, and so forth. If you become interested in that, well, you're a very rare person. Hmm. And Krishna will be, in this world, 
Krishna will be interested in you more than he will in somebody who wants things and somebody who wants to get away from things somebody who worships God because he should be worshipped those people may be more developed on those particular paths than you are as a devotee but Krishna will still be more interested in you than in them and so you try to understand this point and then try to look at things that happen to you in your life Just try to think I really this is my ideal somehow by good association I've been attracted to this I've tried to get away from it sometimes and I guess it's hard <laughs> so try to see what does happen in your life he must I've heard about Krishna he acted like this to Srimati Putana I'm not that bad. Surely, he's put many difficult things have happened to me. He must, he must have a purpose. Must be some purpose. What is his nature? Given his nature, he cannot just be punishing me. I, 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 why he's, why, why this happened? I don't know. But one day, everything will be understood. One day, all of a sudden, everything that happened in their life. You understand exactly why it happened, and you say, "Oh, since since the time of Sadhusanga forward, it was all driving me directly or indirectly toward him. The path, even of Gop Kumar, it looked like a good path compared to ours, but <laughs> but." Um, when he arrived. What did Krishna say to him? Oh, you knocked on so many doors for me. And people closed them in your face. Don't talk to us about him. It's just an implication of that, that, that the devotee will undergo so many, so many difficulties. And there's so many examples in the history of the devotees of their undergoing trials and tribulations, the things that happened to the Pandavas. Their house burned down. Somebody kidnapped, tried to kidnap their wife. <laughs> and there's a god brother, god sister of, of some of you who are my disciple named Gurangi Priya, wife of Madan Gopal. They're from the United States, some of you know them. And uh, recently, when I was at Saragrahi, they were there, and she told me that she was making a collection of stories of the horrific things that happened to devotees. Devotees in the Bhagavatam, all the horrific things that happened to them. She started listing some of them, and I was like, oh, yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> this happened, that one happened, this one. This one was just, and, and Drew, when he was just a child, and his father threw him off his lap. Traumatic. Get off. Right? You know the story of Drew? But he didn't, you know, anyway, so it worked out okay. <laughs> right? It's, and so many things, worse things, happened to them. It was quite a, quite a, a illuminating, and uh, would, give, uh, would be encouraging to think, because you can see the results. She went through this, but Kunti Devi, this is how it ended up. 
We will end like that for you also. So, we have some proper sambandha gyan. What is the nature of Krishna? What are his gunas? What are his qualities? What is he like? So we tell the story of Bhutana. And we think, what the Shastravit Uddhava, he could figure it out. Oh, Makiyam Sanakalakutam, he said. We quoted this verse yesterday. Who in their right mind would take shelter of anyone other than Krishna? How he dealt with Putana, who came to poison him, gave her eternal form of Vatsali love. There's no other form of the God that could be so merciful. We're not confident in our own ability. We're confident in the mercy of Krishna. Therefore, our effort is, as I often say, we make an effort to get grace, to get mercy. And that's our effort. It's like this. Help. That's the effort. Help. We're going to call loudly Hare Krishna. So if we have this ideal through good association, we're a very rare person in this world. You have to understand Krishna has lots of devotees. We are just one. We should think, I'm honored to be thought of as such to say Om Kishavaya Namaha etc. etc. How, how lucky, how fortunate. Asli Shiva Padratam Banashtamam. However he treats me, however whatever it may appear. I'm on the, such a glorious path. Right? So We have this ideal, we are very lucky, and we can also focus, as I'm saying, on things that we can see practically. Another thing I want to say about that is, what does it mean when we say that a human is a rational animal? What distinguishes us from the less complex forms of life, it's often thought, is that we have much, much greater power of, of reasoning. But it's only how we use the reasoning that differentiates us from the other species of life. If we use the reasoning only to do the things that the animals do, then we are just a big and dangerous animal. But we tend to think but that's not what we're supposed to do with intelligence and reasoning. We're supposed to use reasoning to control the, 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 the demands of the mind and the senses. That's what it means to be a human being. We don't expect the animals to control their senses or their minds. We don't expect that of them. Even the domestic animals, you know, we, we, we try to train them a little bit, but if they do things that are, if they just, if the cow just steps on your foot, you know, doesn't realize, it, you know, what do you do? You say, oh, well, anyway, you can't expect if she pushes you over, yeah. even when you're milking her you know, sometimes. So, so but, but from humans, we expect a different uh, response. We expect them to to uh, civilize themselves with the faculty of discrimination, to, 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 you know, 
regulate themselves. Intelligence is for controlling the mind, controlling the senses. So I think everybody agrees with this in the world. We just say, well, let's go all the way with it. So that's what yoga is about. To fully control the mind and, 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 and the senses. And the result will be that the intelligence is not wedded to the demands of the mind and the senses. It's not working just to f- scheming to find ways to satisfy the demands of the mind and the senses. It's above them, and it's, so that's what it means to be civilized. That's what it means to be human. Do you understand? So the idea that we should enter into a discipline for becoming intelligent, fostering our rationale—it's so so bizarre that religion is thought to be um, often irrational. You understand? That faith oh just means you you haven't got reason. No, <laughs> reason is most beautiful when it becomes a servant of, of divine faith. And give us such a good reason to control our mind and our senses. Just to live in the world, we should regulate our mind and our senses, so to speak, of if we have even greater impetus to do so. So these, this is a very practical thing. Krishna consciousness is, is rational. If you want to be irrational, well, what can be done? Right? Hmm. Um, so, at any rate, we're getting a little distracted from your question, but it's an interesting <laughs> discussion. <laughs> uh, so, so, my point is that, is, is that, is that there's a nirguna. There's, a, there's, there, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, another dimension Today we were walking down the road and we saw a snail. Snail? Yes. Crossing the road. Now we know the cars are coming and they don't see the snails. So we asked pick them up and move them. It's like some demigod reaching down and he doesn't know what happened and now he's, you know, relatively speaking, hundreds of miles further down the path. We've taken an hour to get there, something like that. So, we shouldn't live in flat land. There's more than two dimensions, more than three, who knows how many. And two-dimensional, three-dimensional, three-dimensional world's not big enough for us. It's just not. Therefore, we try to understand time. Isn't that, wouldn't that be like a, like a fourth dimension, right? If we could, and then that makes everything different, weird, right? Right. So, and more. So, we are we are constantly trying to make the world big enough because for us because we don't fit in it because the atma in human life is, is surfacing, and it, it's not constrained by the physical laws. Mm-hmm. By its nature, and its nature is starting to show itself. So we can feel ourselves a little bit. We always want to break the boundaries of of nature. 
That's, that's, that's what everybody's celebrating in the world. We break the boundaries of nature and become really more, even in, just in a physical sense. So at any rate, there, there's another world. And, fr- and, and bhakti is this like overture, invitation from that world. And so hearing and chanting about Vishnu, it's just like not part of this world. It's not like the devotion to your family. It's an anga of of the of 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 of, 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 of Vishnu Bhakti. It is what it says it is. The only place you can find it is in these particular books. Hmm? The Gita, the Bhagavad, or, or those that are derived from there and talking about it, trying to tell us what they're what they're saying and so forth. Hmm? Nobody knows who wrote these books. Nobody knows. <laughs> I just find that very interesting. You can say, well, obviously it wasn't one man 5,000 years ago named Vyas. They can say it like that. It's not that obvious. <laughs> we don't know who wrote them. And the timing on them, you don't know when. You can say, well, this Sanskrit is different than this age, and therefore, but who knows? So they, maybe they wrote it down over the ages and passed the original manuscript you still haven't found. I mean, but whatever. It may have been written over centuries, that's another thing, but nobody writes, whoever writes it doesn't put their name on it. Hmm. Such as seems to be the tradition. So it truly is unauthored. <laughs> they, say, they say it's unauthored, the Shruti in particular. Well, at least we don't know that. Hmm. Yeah, it's just, I guess it's a way of saying just that. It's, I don't want to put my name on it because these are unauthored sounds of the world that I heard. Hmm. And I'm just re- repeating them. Upanishad is named after me because I heard these sounds. And how did I hear them? By, by, by traveling on the inner landscape, by moving away from things and thoughts altogether. So, they're very profound. Uh, they talk about an, an, another dimension. It's a very attractive place. And in that uh, this is the contribution of Bhagavad Swamis. They make very clear that the center of that place, the zenith of that place, that is Goloka. And so, interest in that, in what those people do, this attracts Krishna's attention. So this is the really the core of Raga Bhakti. So that's why you, you, once Prabhupada, you know how many times Prabhupada said, first you should read the nine cantos before you read the tenth canto. I mean, it's like a thousand and eight times. So one intelligent disciple said, well, why did you give us the Krishna book first? Which is the tenth canto, right? And Prabhupada just chuckled. He said, well, you have to get a little taste, you know, what's to come to keep you going. <laughs> a little taste and then read the nine cantos. Okay. Something like that. So he gave that first, Krishna consciousness. And uh, not God consciousness made that point. So, meanwhile, the hearing and chanting, which is Surup Bhakti, for example, two angas of Surup Bhakti, this is Baba Sambandi, that was in relation, directly in relation to the bhav, the ideal, 
that you have. I have the ideal to become the friend of Krishna, handmaiden of Radha. And now, hearing and chanting are directly in relation to that. So they become a means to attaining that, and and when they are per perfectly performed, they are the goal itself. They're part of the bhav itself. Therefore, we find hearing and chanting is going on in Goloka. Everything. Shriyakanta kanta parama purusha kalpataro dhumabhumis chintamani ganamayi toyamamritam kataganam natyam gamanam abhivamsi priyasaki. So the word is song, right? Something about Krishna that's put into song. And we, you know, the, the, the best description of the aprakat lila, the unmanifest lila, I think, that we have to date is from Gopal Champu. Jiva Goswami has another book. What is the name of it? Vishwanath Chakravarti wrote a book. Chakravarti wrote a book with the same name. I forget. It also describes Aprakat, but Gopal Kapchampu is more famous. And he depicts the Gopal Champu, the life in the Aprakat Leela, as hearing and chanting about the Prakat Leela. The preoccupation in the Prakat Leela is the Aprakat Leela. The preoccupation in the Aprakat Leela is the Prakat Leela. So hearing and chanting is going on there. Here we're telling the stories of Krishna Leela, and in Goloka they're telling the stories of Krishna Leela. It's been put into verse in Gopal Champu by Snigdakanta and Madhukanta, two um, minstrels who had the. Uh, this was they would they would tell people's lives in song. Something about they would put to song and poetry, people's lives. What a beautiful idea! Hmm? Just like musicals, you know, Indian musical, Indian movies are all of a sudden everyone starts dancing, <laughs> singing. It's not that popular in Hollywood anymore, but it used to be a popular genre of uh, motion motion picture industry. Hmm. <laughs> Still popular in Bollywood. Hmm. So. How, how to express the feeling. So it's a land of song and dance. What is the, what is the walking? If the walking is da dancing, if the talking is singing, what must be the dancing? What must be the singing? Yes, right? Jiva Goswami makes that comment. So, so from there these practices come. This is Sarup Bhakti. And some examples then are given sometimes as to their efficacy, like the example of the rat who did Artik, Archan, without knowing it, attained by Kunta. So these stories are meant to, meant to say to us that, that, that they have such power that if we actually apply ourselves to them hmm, with proper sambandha jnana, then certainly what the result will be extraordinary. right? So while this type of bhakti is inherently bhakti, at the same time how you approach it and the mood that you have as part of your question, the mentality, the understanding with which you approach it, that is going to play a factor hmm, in the measure of the result that is attained from it. Srup Bhakti. Now, Arup Bhakti and Sangha Bhakti, as I said, they are more or less Karma, Karma Mishra Bhakti, Gyan Mishra Bhakti. But, um, 
But in our everyday life, as a sadhaka, we have to do some Aropsuta Bhakti. Because brushing your teeth is not Bhakti. So how can you make brushing your teeth Bhakti? It's not, it's not one of the main Angas or a sub-anga. But if your whole life is life of devotion, then you can make teeth brushing a rupsita bhakti, because you can assign bhakti to it. I'm brushing my teeth so that I can be clean, so that I can go on the altar and serve Krishna, so that I won't have bad breath when I speak the Bhagavad Gita. push people away <laughs> something like this so there's a this is this is the idea that, that your bodily functions and so forth emotions you assign bhakti to them and so so the bhakti so ropsiddhi bhakti means, means like you to something that's not bhakti you assign bhakti to it and it becomes bhakti so Things that are not bhakti, that are movements in the world, that's karma. So, Gita says, Yat karosi yadashnasi yat jahoshi dadasiya. You know this verse? Ninth canto. Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you offer, whatever you give away, whatever, do it for me. All the things that Krishna's talking about, they're all karmic activities. Do them for me with me in mind. That's different than than Sangha Siddha Bhakti. Bhakti means I give myself to Krishna and I do these things, hearing and chanting about him. <coughs> Karma is I do these these other things that have nothing to do with Krishna, but I offer them to him. And then uh, Sangha Siddha Bhakti it means like it, it, it means, really, it's like mixing yoga with bhakti or jnana with bhakti. It's a, just another way, another term, using another term for it. Um, uh, sometimes the example is giving that if you're going to perform a sacrifice, there are things that are related to the sacrifice that are required for its performance, like wood to make the fire. So you collect the fire because it's sangha in relation to what the sacrifice is as an ingredient, then it becomes part of the sacrifice, whereas otherwise it's not. Wood's not a sacrifice, but it becomes part of the sacrifice. So you relate it. Sometimes it's... it's uh, the example of the sacrifice is, is given. Um, so, so that's important. A particular analogy. So it's uh, in, in relation to such an act. So, in relation to the gan yagya, then um, we can we can we can bring bhakti in relation to Jnana Yajna. And then it would be Sangha Siddha Bhakti. So we can take that Bhakti and use it, mix it with Jnana, make Jnana more efficacious. 
So Rope Siddha Bhakti pertains more to the life of a sadhaka than Sangha Siddha Bhakti. Hmm. You understand? That's the answer. Yep. Mm, I have a question connected to the 716. Um, uh, there are 400 uh, pious people. Yeah, pious people, Lava, Sukhita, and they are they are Arthas, means those who are in fear. So means those who are in fear approach Krishna, those who uh, want to inquire, and those who are um, things. Uh, they are the things like uh, material things. And the, the the knowledge, and um, there is something like gradation of those approaches to Krishna. Some in some commentaries they assign to different gunas, um, different varnas, and uh, I don't remember about ashrams, but uh, there is also in one of your purpose a me- uh, mention about uh, about Balad uh, 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 commentary that those are uh, four approaches they may change in the course of purification like some, because they are thought of anarthas they, they are to be purified uh, in the course of practice and uh, at the same time, I was thinking about it that, uh, from my own experience and what I know from the experience of other devotees who spoke with me, um, that sometimes uh, we experience like uh, uh, outflashes, of, uh, you know, outbreaks of, of those uh, things like you, you are after material things, you approach Krishna, you are in fear, you approach Krishna. And then it's a little bit mixed. It's not that mm-hmm. organized. So, um, in co- in the context of our topic of Anatta Vritti, um, how would you uh, see uh, those uh, things like Yana Mishra Bhakti, Dharma Mishra Bhakti? Are they like gradually going from one stage to the other, and you become more like a Yani in the end? Which is the highest of the four? Yeah. Or I wouldn't look at it. I wouldn't look at it quite like that. Mm-hmm. I would look at it like this: that Rupa Goswami has defined what he calls Uttam Bhakti. Mm-hmm. It's also called Keval Bhakti, Shuddha Bhakti, Ananya Bhakti, and he says that there's three expressions of it: Sadhana. Avutam Bhakti, Bhava Avutam Bhakti, and Prem Avutam Bhakti. Hmm. And in the school of Uttam Bhakti, the goal is to 
engage only in those things that are favorable and pleasing to Krishna and not um, with the motive to attain through bhakti things or or for their own sake or liberation for its own sake or better stated to think that bhakti is in the school of Uttam Bhakti one does not think that bhakti is dependent on karma in order for it to be efficacious or that by not performing karmic duties bhakti will be weakened to think like that is to have engage in bhakti covered by karma hmm? so now do you think that in order for bhakti to be efficacious you have to follow the everything in varnashram do you I don't think so. no okay mm-hmm. okay so therefore your idea of bhakti is not covered by karma okay and then do you um, uh, do you think that um, that you want to do bhakti to get away from things or do you want to do bhakti to love Krishna ideally right so therefore you have joined the school of Uttam Bhakti you're not a graduate right but you're in the school of Uttam Bhakti so that's why sometimes Prabhupada said all my disciples are pure devotees so you're in the school that school you're you're not embracing a, a, as an ideology Gyan Mishra Bhakti Yoga Mishra Bhakti Karma Mishra Bhakti all of these things are talked about in our scriptures in the Gita and Sandarvas and uh, Bhagavat and so on and so forth there are ways in which Bhakti is talked about directly and way Bhakti is talked about indirectly but it's not like this it contrasts Shuddha Bhakti with Mishra Bhakti of different types and so forth you see the results and and you see what happens to Subhari Muni. Hmm? He could live underwater, but, but, as we heard this morning, there could be problems there, right? So we learn that. So that's indirectly talking about the virtues of bhakti, Garuda in contrast, and so forth. So, um, so ultimately, what excited you to join this is is this ideal. So that's your ideal, and your ideal you will become, right? So you you, know, you were, meanwhile, you know that doesn't mean you're you're free from motives like fear and prospect and and sometimes these are, are there in your in your life, but you're a work in progress. So they you'll pass through them in that sense. But it's not like we become a karma measure bhakta, and now we become a jnana measure bhakta, then we become a shuddha bhakta. Hmm? You understand? What Krishna is talking about there in that section of the Gita is is people who come to bhakti through such motives in due course. Hmm? And um, the motive may be driving them, they come in touch with bhakti, and then 
as a result, well, now they have bhakti in their life, so now their prospect is, is, is uh, it extends beyond that which was driving them and brought them to bhakti in the first place. Um, of course, to, I believe, the curious, you know, the, 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 who want uh, out of fear and who want the art of artati, and, and who have fear in material acquisition, this is driven by the lower modes of nature. Inquiry and knowledge is driven by sattva-guna. So there's a distinction between those two, just to talk about that a little bit more. And uh, to be driven by sattva-guna is to get more clarity and to come to know oneself. So Krishna does say, the one who knows himself is, is more dear to me, but he extends the understanding of the self to include knowing the self means knowing oneself to be part and parcel of Vasudev to receive Vasudev Sarvamiti. So his idea of a knowledge person, person ultimately a knowledge, includes it would appear from the verse not only knowing the self but knowing the self in relation to to Vishnu. So anyway, yes, you had a question, Karan. I have similar. I was. I have a, a similar question uh, because you very much on the last uh, lecture you said that some devotees they they are disguised as a devotee but in the heart they are not devotee and there are others who are not who looks like devotees but they are they are devotee like in the beginning and uh, so my question is that uh, in the beginning of Bhakti uh, before Anandamriti the, the whole satana bhakti is like imitate, imitating of devotee. Yeah, imitation. So, of, it, it, it said that imitation of a good thing yeah. is a good thing. Like Bhutan, So, if we imitate, how can know that we are a devotee or not? że Guru Maharaj ma takie podobne w tym pytanie, które było zadane, że Guru Maharaj na, na poprzednim wykładzie właśnie powiedział, że są, że są osoby, które wyglądają baktowie, ale tak naprawdę nie są baktami, a są osoby, które nie wyglądają baktowie, a są baktami. Tak właśnie na Litwie, albo na przykład Putana, które imitowało. Ale właśnie my na tym etapie Satana Bhakti, szczególnie to jest taki proces, że my imitujemy prawdziwych baktów. Więc jak możemy wiedzieć, czy jesteśmy, czy jesteśmy baktami, czy nie? I think that um, there's a kind of a couple of ways to take the term imitating. So, like a child may imitate his parents, and it will be very charming. Because he doesn't know any better, and he wants to be like his father, so he imitates his father, tries to put his father's shoes on, and walk in them, even though they're too big, and everybody thinks, oh, this is very nice. So, that's obviously um, uh, innocent and desirable, in a sense. Hmm? I see great devotees, they act like this, I'd like to be, I'd like, to be like that, so, so I'll also do in the same way. Hmm? I think this is the imitation of a good thing that is a good thing. But in another sense of imitation, where I'm imitating being a devotee 
and I kind of know I'm imitating being a devotee, and other people are being deceived by my imitation, and I know I'm kind of deceiving myself. That's, a, that's a, not an innocent form of imitation. That's where it takes on a pejorative connotation, hmm? the term imitating. So there's a, there's a good side to imitating, and there's a side where I'm speaking beyond my realization, for example, people are liking it, I'm thinking I'm great, and, and I'm growing anarthas arising out of bhakti, fostering them, and so forth, um, counterfeit. One thing is imitation in an innocent sense, another thing is, is to be counterfeit. So there, I think, you know, the, there's another word that's synonymous with devotee, which is satam, honest, thoroughly honest, and so forth. So I think one has to be honest, and I think if one asks a question, like the question you're, ans- you're asking, that's a sincere question. If you have doubt about your own authenticity, then there's some authenticity to it. Hmm? Um, you know, the, the closer you come to it, the more you realize how great it is and, and, and how, how small you are, the closer you come to the infinite. So we, we, we find this, even great devotees question their own devotion. We think, are they just making that? They must know that they're in higher stages. You know, they must know. But as you ascend, so to speak, the ladder of sadhana bhakti, uh, or within bhava bhakti, you, you grow and attain prem, then there's a tendency to, to see whatever is between you and the object of your love becomes a focus. And it looms very large. Hmm? The further down you are on the ladder, the further you are from the object of your love. Hmm? And there may be more of a tendency to not see the obstacles, what gets in the way, uh, as much to be that. Hmm? Um, so you have more problems, more blemishes, more whatever um, in a lower stage, but it doesn't loom as, as large to you. The closer you get to the purest thing, any impurity stands out. Even, even you may make up impure things without consciously doing it, like the gopis are making up their impurity. Hmm? They're, they're mis- missing Krishna and they're seeing the trees. The trees are bent and they're thinking the trees are better devotees than us. Just see, they're offering their fruits. And, and oh, he left us, but he didn't leave the earth wherever he goes. His feet are on the earth. This is kind of a madness in their bhava. There's no nothing wrong with them, but they're finding everything wrong with them. I mean, to, another example is, is that the Neophyte devotee thinks, I'm a devotee. Everyone else is a demon. And the Sutapurla devotee thinks, I'm a demon, everyone else is a devotee. So I think this is just a kind of a cute, but a gener- a kind of a generalization. But the, these are the, it characterizes the mentality at different ends of the spectrum. So when we are in, in, introspective and 
you know, doubt the measure of our own devotion and so forth, and that's a sign of our devotion. One time, um, you know, those who say they have no Brahman don't know Brahman. Those who say they don't know Brahman, they know Brahman. Hmm? One time, one of my godbrothers said to Sri Gurmaraj that, that Gurmaraj, sometimes you say that if you think that you're uh, not making progress, then you then, then you must be making progress, something like that. And, so, so, and, uh, and he said, but what if you're really, really not making progress? <laughs> <laughs> and Sri Gurmaraj said, really? Really? That? Good? <laughs> so, um, but you know, we have to be careful, you know, here in the Western world, and I think overall now, I think I may be wrong with this, but my sense is that the industrial world has its downside. Could it be? And one of the part of the downside is, well, people's brains are different. They 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 form differently, and, and that's the, your filter, the filter through which consciousness interacts uh, with with sense objects and so forth through the mind and then the brain and so forth. So um, there are a lot of um, psychological issues that are troubling and so forth. And one of them is like, you know, kind of a lack of self-esteem. I heard that one that the, the Dalai Lama, you know, the Dalai Lama, the Buddhist teacher, he couldn't understand American uh, uh, students talking about lack of self-esteem. He just, it's just like he couldn't, they didn't get it. He couldn't, it didn't compute for him. You're such a nice person. How can you think like that? Yeah, he didn't have, but it's pretty prominent um, um, a psychological issue. For lots of people, a lot of women have it, and of course they've been suppressed, you know, for the centuries and so forth. So um, anyway, so it's a problem, and so you know we we don't want we have to also see if if, if uh, you know I don't know if I'm really a devotee, if it's really just like a psychological self doubt that's unhealthy and, and neurotic. Hmm? That's part of the equation here. It has to be dealt with with some other, maybe other tools to help deal with that and, and, and so forth. Um, but there's a healthy, you know, kind of self doubt that I'm speaking of, a healthy fear of Maya uh, that Prahlad had, for example, which is good. So yes. Uh, Guru Maharaj, uh, I, I just hate to interrupt uh, this nice session, but it's 10 to 8, and we could avoid that. So, and if you don't mind, we can stop here and okay. go there. Yeah. Go for the Shiva Darshan? Exactly. Right, so we'll, we'll know what to do when we get there, huh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Mahadev Kijai. Bhakti Devi Kijai. Go with Pramananda. <laughs>